Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Now, just, a, just, just some doctrinal things to point out here real quick. Look at verse number 13, uh, what we read in the middle of it, and it, the young child and his mother. Now, take verse 13. Look at verse number 14. In the middle, it says, the young child and his mother. Now, go on down to verse number 20. Watch what it says. The young child and his mother. And then there's one more spot. It's four times in the chapter. Look at verse 21, the young child and his mother. So you look at verse 13, the, ver the verse that we read, verse 14, verse 20, and verse 21, the young child is above the mother. It's a rebuke to Romanism that puts the mother before the child. The young child has the first place mention of preeminence. Not Mary as the preeminence, the young child. Um, the idolatry of Rome is to put Mary equal to or above Jesus Christ. And that is, that is idolatry uh, at its worst. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one, the young child and his mother. And in verse 13, it says, uh, And flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now think for a minute. If if it's you ladies as Mary and, and your husband's Joseph, or husbands, you think it's it's you, you're Joseph, and, and 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 your wife is Mary. Think think about this for a minute. Are you ready to go to Egypt? <laughs> I wouldn't be. Lord, I don't want to go to Egypt. Can anybody blame Mary for saying that to Joseph? Jo I, I, I really don't want to go to Egypt. And let me say this to you. I don't think there would be anything wrong for Mary to have those thoughts. Honey, Egypt? Really? That's where the Lord wants us to go? That's where God told him to go. You can think of some places in America where if you're a Christian mom or a Christian father... You can think of some of those places and you say, you know what? I do not want to raise my children there. Yet God, the Lord, is telling Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt. <laughs> Ladies, that's like one day your husband waking up and saying, let's move to San Francisco. You know, I know. Let's move to Las Vegas. Really, Las Vegas? You've got two cities where you can pick any sin that you want and find it in about a minute. And the Lord says, I'm going to go to Egypt. Ouch. I'll go wherever you want me to go, Lord. Just please, please don't ask me to go to Egypt. Can you understand this situation? Uh, look at verse number 14, Matthew 2, 14. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And this verse here is where the song Silent Night was written, because this was the first silent night when Joseph said, we're, we're going to go to Egypt. And Mary said, 
what? We're going where? Yeah, we're going to go to Egypt. And she didn't talk to him for about three weeks. <laughs> That's where Silent Night happened. You imagine being Mary and your husband saying, yeah, we're going to go. Just take the young child. We're going to head on down to Egypt. Rough stuff. Rough stuff. Look, do we have things in our life where it doesn't seem like we ought to be doing? Not because it's sin, just because it's inconvenient. But yet the Lord said, the Lord's telling them, hey, once you go to Egypt, look at verse number 15. We'll find out why. Why? And it was there until the death of Herod in verse number 15. And here's the reason why. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt, have I called my son? So why did they go to Egypt so that scripture would be fulfilled. Now I would say that's pretty good obedience to the Lord. We can, we can, we can question the Lord if we want, but it's better to just obey the Lord. And when we see something in God's word, it's better to just obey it, not fight against it and, and wrestle against it but just hey it might be difficult just obey god obedience is always better and we see that what a great example joseph and mary look at verse 16 good doesn't get any better then herod when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. I don't know what the population was back in that day. But whatever the population was, those moms, life would never be the same. Those dads, life would never be the same. You have a mother screaming because soldiers are coming down the street. Hide my boy. Pleading with her husband. Hide him. Hide him. Yet it happens. And it happened and God didn't stop it. We think population control and COVID-19, you take the vaccine, you're going to be sterile and abortion and all that. Look, it's all, I, I get it. I get it. I'm with you 100%. It's not new. <laughs> Evil men that hate God want to destroy people. And that is exactly what is happening. And it was prophesied that it would happen. It's a sad thing. All those children that are being slain. So are we upset at God? No, we shouldn't be upset at God because evil men are going to do what evil men do. They always have and they always will. God is... When you hear a passage of scripture like this, it upsets us. How can God allow that to happen? Well, in Revelation, God wipes out wickedness and evil. And when you tell people that, they're upset too. Bad people do bad things. And when Jesus comes back his second time, he's going to wipe away all of that wickedness. But during this time, he didn't. It happened. 
And we pray, God, will you please take care of all the bad people in my life? And we want God to take care of all those people. Yet we are the ones that have the indwelt Holy Spirit. And we should be praying more, God, control my life. We want them to control everybody else's life that makes our life inconvenient. Yet we are the believers and we have the indwelt Holy Spirit. God, lead me. God, dwell. God, guide me. We've got it backwards. That's a serious burden. That's a serious burden that's going on. And that's families that are going to be affected, that were affected for their whole life down on earth. There's no schools to go to because all the kids from two years and under were slaughtered. So by the time you start getting more population to children, there, there's no school. There's no kids playing together in the neighborhood. And you're going to be the mom that shows up with Jesus. I mean, just think about how that would play out in real life. God said, every man shall bear his own burden. And then we get in Galatians, the same idea, bear ye one another's burdens. I'm to bear my burden. You're to bear your burden. When you have a burden, I'm to help you bear it. When I have a burden, you're to help me bear it. But God said, bear it. Stop praying for all of the burdens to go away. They're not going away. They're here to stay. Because we live in, we live in an evil world with evil rulers and evil people. You know what we have to pray? God, help me bear it. God, be with me as I bear it. God, send people my way that are like-minded that will help me so we can do this one anothering of bearing it. But God tells us to bear it. Same idea. You're going to go through, you go through some tribulation this year? I'm not trying to make light of it. I've been through the thick of it. In my own, just, we all have. Don't count on 23 being better. Count on it being the same thing. Tribulation masked in something else. You're going to go through it. You know what God told us? Be patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Stop praying for the tribulation to go away and start praying, God, would you help me be patient in the tribulation that I know is coming, that I don't want to sign up for, that I really wish would go away, but I know it's not because you told me we're going to have tribulation in this world. Would you just help me to be patient in it? Is there any mother here that wants to raise their home with tribulation in it? No. But you would be kidding yourself if you think that it's never going to show. It's going to show up. You know what we need? Patience in it. Jesus said in the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. You got tribulation over here and you have good cheer over here. I want to get rid of tribulation. <coughs> God says, nope, not going away. Tribulation's going to stay. But when you hit it, or when it hits you, be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus said, I have overcome that. I've overcome the world. 
Stop praying for less tribulation and start praying for more cheer in whatever it is, the tribulation that I have to go through. God says tribulation worketh patience. Go to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. I am not suggesting in any way that moms and dads sign up for, yeah, let's have Monday just be as miserable as possible. <laughs> That's not the point of the message. I want to have a, motiva a motivational Monday, not a miserable Monday. I want a fantastic Tuesday, not a terrible Tuesday. But when Monday comes and some tribulation hits, be of good cheer. Watch what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 4. Well, verse 3, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Why would we need a God of all comfort if we can just have all the comfort all on our own? Because we can't have all the comfort all. That's why he sent us a comforter. Why? Because we need comfort. I know this is basic, but we got to get a hold of this. Watch what it says in verse 4. Who comforted us in all our tribulations. In everything that we've read and talked about, do you see anything where God is even suggesting that the tribulation is going to go away? We need the comfort. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If I'm really at a low point spiritually, I would hope, I would, I would want to trust that my church family would get behind me and comfort me. I would hope they wouldn't just throw me under the bus, if you will. Well, he's the preacher. He should figure it out. I mean, he's supposed to be. We expect him to be Mr. Well, what if he isn't Mr. Whatever I'm supposed to be Mr. of? What if I'm not? And I can't bear it. I need you to help me bear it. And I can't comfort myself. I need you to com help comfort me. Now, flip it around. Isn't that what you would want? You're going through a trial. You're going through a tribulation. You're having some discomfort in your life. And you show up and you tell me about it. Or you tell another brother or sister about it. We say, well, suck it up. You should just be a Christian and figure it out. What's your problem? Don't you have the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, but I thought it said to bear one another's burdens. This guy needs some help. Isn't that what the Christian life is supposed to be? Why? Why is it like that? Because the trials aren't going away. They're not. Herods are all over the place. And if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. We've got to stick together. Who else is going to help us bear our burdens? The unsaved workmates? The best they got is come to Thirsty Thursdays from 6 to 7. We'll get you lit up a little bit.
That's the best they got. Yeah, and you'll feel good for a little while until you wake up on Friday and you realize you're late for work. Then you're fired, and then you got to get. This trouble's not going away this side of heaven. Don't sign up for it. You don't have to. It'll find you. You living for God? It'll find you. Do you follow God and obey him and believers' baptism? Trouble's going to find you. Because Satan, our adversary, he doesn't like that you're living for God. He don't like it. So you got a big target on your back. And that adversary wants to take you out. And it'll show up in all types of ways. The Christian life is learning how to find comfort in uncomfortable situations. That's what the Christian life's about. We have to stop complaining that we're uncomfortable and instead comfort one another. Comfort one another. We have this idea. We'll go back to Matthew 2. Verse 15, and was there until the death of Herod, that's how long they were in Egypt, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and on all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. How many of you dads would want to go back and try to take care of business with Herod and his men? How many of you moms would be trying to get back to help those mamas whose kids are? You can't tell me those thoughts weren't there. But we think when things don't go our way, that somehow we're out of the will of God. A lot of things aren't going people's way in Bethlehem. And they're not out of the will of God. So we have to stop having this idea. Well, it's I've concluded this way. So it has to be the will of God. No, maybe it's not the will of God. And you know how I know that? You know how, why I'm always trying to be drawn back to the word of God? Because I don't want my will to be God's will. I want God's will to be my will. <laughs> and we think because it was our grand idea, it must be God's will. Because after all, I thought of it. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Remember Matthew 2.16. The will of God is not what you want. It's what God wants. The will of God is not what I want. The will of God is what God wants. And if things don't go your way, it doesn't mean that thing is wrong. I would bet if Mary and Joseph had their way, they would not have wanted to go to Egypt. But God's will was their will. And if they got their will, they would have probably ended up somewhere else. And things go wrong within God's will. People get hurt. People die. And it gets sadder. 
Look at verse 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. You don't have to turn there, but this prophecy is out of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. I'll read you the verse. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. So that voice, that cry of lamentation and that that cry of weeping. Now, Rachel was the wife of Jacob, one of the wives of Jacob. I guess he said he loved her, but he he, he was uh, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. That would make Rachel the mother of that nation, if you will. And so she's weeping in Jeremiah. She's weeping over the children of that nation being led away into captivity from the place where she was buried in Ramah. And she's weeping over that. And it's poetically figuring Rachel. She's almost as if it's saying she's stirred from her grave. And she's in tears and she's weeping. Because of what's happening to the children, her children on that national soil. You know, she died in childbirth on her way to. We looked at that verse this morning. On her way to Bethlehem. I said, got the verse written down. Yeah, I do. I jotted it down because I wanted to mention Jeremiah or Genesis 35, 19. And Rachel died and was buried. You know what it says? In the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Remember this morning we went over um, the two different Bethlehems, Bethlehem Euphrata, and it was four different ways it's termed in the Bible. And then we looked at that Genesis passage and Rachel, she, she dies in, in childbirth on her way to Bethlehem, but she dies near Ramah. So it's, it's that in Jeremiah, it's that national soil, that national land. It's a national weeping that it's poetically being talking about by by Jeremiah. It's almost as if she has her eyes toward Bethlehem. That was her hope. That was where she was headed. Even in her childbirth. Even even when she died in childbirth, the sorrow and the weeping was her hope. <laughs> she's sorrow and lamenting. She, she, she's dying. Going to lose her child. But Benjamin, that tribe of Benjamin, that child being born was still a hope. Any mom that would have a child would think about if she would be dying in childbirth, what would, what would her hope be? Oh, please, doctor. Oh, please, God. Just let my child what? Live. So she represents, if you will, these sorrowful mothers in Bethlehem. They're weeping. But yet there's a hope. Because the Savior's here. There's a hope. There always is a hope. The slaughter of the children in Bethlehem was predicted by God. 
prophetically. But there's a hope. And when it says in Matthew 2.18, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, praise God, we have not had a situation where a young child has died. But where we lived, we were in Florida for five years. There was a little neighborhood graveyard. And you go down, we had a dirt road, a sugar sand road, like sand driving on. You go down, be a little graveyard tucked away. One of the, one of the little graveyards, a little boy. That little G.I. Joe figure there. Tonka truck. Little things that the boy would play with. And those parents, the family, went to the church where we were at. Found out that was their little boy buried in that graveyard. I'm sure as a parent, one of the worst things you fear is something happening to your child. Now, what do you say to that mom? Nothing that you say will take away the sorrow. She's got the comfort of the Lord. She has the fellowship of believers. She has the indwelt Holy Spirit. She's in a good church. What are you going to say to her that's going to bring her boy back? Nothing. Nothing. He's not coming back. And that is not an easy thing to deal with. And you have a situation in Bethlehem where hundreds, if not thousands of families are experiencing this. And it was predicted by God that it would happen. You can't comfort him. There's nothing to say. It says in, in, in Matthew 2, verse 18, would not be comforted. You're not going to say nothing. And prophetically, prophetically, God sees what Herod is doing. Right back in the prophet Jeremiah. And God doesn't stop it. The slaughter happens. What am I saying? If you think Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins, which he did, to give you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, so that your life would be picture perfect and pretty and easy enough it would go wrong, wake up! That's not the way it goes. And I'm as sorrowful as anybody else is. because When things don't go the way that I want them to go, I think somehow, God, how can you do this to me? Except it isn't God doing it to me. It's this world doing it. And the wickedness that people in this world do. And it's the same thing for you. When something goes horribly wrong, it's not God's fault. He said things would go wrong. He told you you're going to have tribulation. He told you you're going to need comfort. People think we have to do something. 
The drag queens are taking over the public libraries. We have to do something. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We have to do something. The transgenderism, that whole philosophy is taking over our public schools. Okay, what are you going to do? You're going to start a campaign and a social issue and you're going to try to, what are you going to do? You're going to try to get, a, you're going to try to get rid of all the Herods is what you're going to try to do. You know what God didn't do? He didn't get rid of Herod, at least during that time. And a lot of people were hurt and a lot of people died. Well, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do what God told us to do. It's time for saving souls. And guess what? God told us when he comes back, his second advent, his second coming, he's going to wipe out all the bad guys. That's going to be the time when the slaughter happens and all the evil is wiped away. But right now, the evil is not going to be wiped away. And every drag queen and every transgender confused queer need, they don't need a social campaign from a Christian. They need the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now is the time for saving souls. And when Jesus comes back, nobody's creating a committee and deciding whether or not they're going to vote Jesus to come in. No, he's coming. And when he comes, that is when he said he will wipe away all of this mess. But until then, I don't want any mess in my life. And I don't want any mess in your life. I don't want any mess in this church. I don't want any mess with any of the members here at this church. I don't want it. The same way all those parents in Bethlehem didn't want it either. And we don't have it that bad. It's time for saving souls. Jesus is going to come and wipe out all the Herods. Don't you worry about that. Watch the hope. Watch the hope. Look at verse number 19. But when Herod was dead. Hoorah! That's great. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. You see, there's hope. Herod's dead. The hope of salvation lives. Watch what it says. Saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now another fulfillment of prophecy is Joseph and Mary obey God. Oh, great. We get to come out of Egypt, except Archelaus is in charge now. He's a nut job. You think you get rid of one wicked ruler, the next one's going to be any better? And so you know what happens again? Joseph is afraid. Well, I'm afraid. It must be God's will that I just don't move anywhere. 
We should just stay in Egypt, Mary. Archelaus was more of a nut job than Herod. From what I can tell from reading this, Joseph's afraid and he doesn't want to go. Except he goes. Why? Because he's trusting the Lord. Do you think they understood everything prophetically like maybe we would be able to because we got time to study our Bible and cross-reference and chew on things and have a Bible study? You think they did? And yet we're afraid and we still can't move forward. If fear rules your life, God is not ruling your life. And you can say it's God's will all you want. If God told you to do something and you're not doing it out of fear, fear has become your idol. Fear has become my idol. Get counsel, talk to people, pray, get the Holy Spirit's guiding on it. But Joseph's afraid, but Joseph marches on. Why does he march on? Because that is what the Lord put in front of him. That's what the Lord put in front of Mary. And they moved forward. We pray, Lord, give me more strength. Lord, give me more faith. Lord, give me more courage. Lord, help. Why don't we just pray, God, thanks and I'm afraid. I trust you and I'm going to move on because I'm scared to death. That's what Joseph did. He's walking right into the reign of Archelaus. I don't, we're not going to get into the whole Nike thing, but Nike's slogan is just do it. I think they got, uh, that's, that's Joseph. That's Joseph. Egypt, really? Yeah, let's just do it. Why? God told us. We're going to head back to, Where Herod was reigning, but now he's not reigning. But Archelaus is there. Man, that guy's crazy. Yeah, let's do it. Why? God said. So let's do it. Let's do it. That's the way to be. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to use fear as an excuse to disobey God.